listening to a resource from Jambrew Anglican Church. And uh, as Jody has said, I'm going to talk about that passage from Luke chapter 16 on the rich man and Lazarus. And we often see on our TV the starving people uh, in different parts of the world when a famine or a drought's gone through and we reflect on ourselves in Australia how rich and wealthy we are. Uh, here in this parable, it's all just boils down to just just two people. There's a, a man with lots and lots of food and a man who's starving. Just the two people involved here. So I've got two sermon points uh, today, as you probably should have in a sermon. The first point is we're going to look at the story itself, Lazarus and the rich man, Luke chapter 16. There's something different about this parable from the other parables that Jesus told. You know that Jesus regularly told parables. He made up realistic, believable sort of stories of the everyday life of those days to illustrate something about what he was trying to say, teach them about the kingdom of God. Usually, of course, they were short, probably only making one main point to them, perhaps a couple of sub-points. This parable seems to have a lot more uh, packed into it, a lot of information. Uh, We had the reading, it was a parable, a made-up story about Jesus, about a rich man who ignored a starving man. The starving man was lying at his gate begging for food, so he could not have missed him. That's how the rich man ended up in uh, the place of the dead, which I'm going to use, the the Greek word used is Hades. So he's he's called Hades in Jesus' language. This is the equivalent of the Old Testament word Sheol from the Hebrew language, the place of the dead, and Lazarus ended up in heaven. So here is uh, Lazarus at the rich man's gate with a a smaller version of a dog. I think it might be one of your dogs, Jody, there licking his sores, just a little one. The rich man with his expensive purple clothes knew all about Lazarus. He couldn't avoid him because he was lying right there at his front gate. He himself, wearing the expensive purple clothes of those days, uh, had all, all that he wanted to eat. Lazarus chose that spot because he knew the man would walk past and see him. Surely he could spend him a f- spare him a few dollars. They called them minas in those days. How about a few minas just so I can buy some food? Uh, even a bit of leftover food from the table would have been good. But no, he received no charity at all from the rich man. And what's worse, the, do- the dogs were licking his open sores. Uh, Jesus says the rich man lived in luxury meaning heaps of the best food and clothes and a warm bed every night. In his overabundance of daily food, he was completely unconcerned about Lazarus and he only thought about himself. But then, says Jesus, as he continues in his storytelling, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So there they are having the funeral on earth. Meanwhile, in heaven, uh, I'll just use the word soul without committing myself to soul, body, spirit, uh, concept of humans, but I'll just say his soul was being carried uh, up to Abraham's side. The two men exchanged places. uh, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. That was the older translations anyway. Quite a few of the more modern versions say he went to Abraham's side, and that's a reasonable translation. It's a way of speaking about heaven itself. So picture it as Lazarus sitting right next to Abraham at the banqueting table, which is God's heaven. 
And Abraham, of course, is the beginning of the Jewish race, the great forefather of all the Jewish people, the greatest Jew of all. He was the one most honoured by God. So Lazarus has been given the most honoured place, sitting right beside Abraham. And here is a picture, if you're taking sermon notes, I hope you are. This parable gives a picture of all the blessings that, of the blessings that all true descendants of Abraham will share in one day. So if you have faith in the promises of God, just like Abraham did because he was a man of faith, if your future is based on the fact that you belong to God forever, then one day you'll also be honoured to sit at God's table in heaven. Because in the, the pictures of the 23rd Psalm, we're just switching pictures a bit, after walking through the valley of death, Christians emerge at God's banqueting table. As we look at our, our notes, if you're taking notes, the rich man isn't in heaven, he's down in Hades. And like I said, this is the word that, that Jesus used. And when you read the Old Testament, they talked about Sheol, and they weren't always sure in the Old Testament whether there was um, a life beyond the grave or not. Sometimes you're reading a passage you say, well, this Bible writer, Old Testament Bible writer, doesn't seem to be clear. He just talks about God's blessings on earth. He doesn't seem to have much of a concept of God's blessings in heaven. Other times, there'll be a sort of a, a burst of light, and he's, oh, he seems to be talking about everlasting life beyond the grave at this point. But the Old Testament people talked about Sheol. It was the place where all dead people went, and that was, and the Greek equivalent was Hades, and Jesus uses the word Hades. Now, what, what I'm going to show you is that Jesus added to our understanding of Hades. By setting out this parable, he takes uh, the message further. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it talks about Jesus Christ who brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So obviously we get a, a further revelation through the gospel and it's made more clear what this Hades business is, Sheol, and what happens after death It's made more clear to us. So in this uh, parable, Hades, which is, as I say, the regular word the New Testament uses, the place where dead people go, it's now shown to be a place where people who ignored God are waiting for their final punishment which has to some degree already started. We notice this with, with the rich man. He's already in agony. He's already got agony going on inside him of some kind or another. So the rich man called out to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to uh, dip the, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in the fire. Now, four things I want to say about heaven and hell at this point, and as the sermon rolls along, you'll see these points uh, coming up as we go. First of all, uh, is hell, and this is, I'm still on the first point, but I've, I've got a second point coming. There's four little sub-points on heaven and hell. Is hell a burning fire, which is often talked about in scripture, or is this just words being used to describe something real? but beyond our full comprehension. Well, clearly, we can't have a full comprehension of hell because it doesn't belong to our world and we've got to sort of you know, take it by faith at this point. Now, it could be that it's sort of symbolic language because fires do, indeed, they burn themselves out eventually, but yes, hell definitely goes on forever. But the picture of fire is certainly teaching us that the people who go to hell will always suffer like being in a fire. Suffering what, you ask? Well, if it's not a real fire, you would be suffering the agony of knowing that heaven is real, that you've missed out forever. The rich man can see into heaven, he knows he's missed out, and there's this chasm he can't get across. 
So maybe talking about the fires of hell means the everlasting agony of knowing that this is where you're going to spend eternity, away from God and, of course, away from your loved ones. Second point here, we suddenly realise that the rich man actually knew Lazarus because he could spot him over there in heaven and he knew that's that Lazarus guy who used to lie at my front gate. Maybe they could send him down with a drink of water for me. So he knew this heap of human misery. Thirdly, the rich man's opinion of Lazarus has not changed, even though the rich man himself is in Hades. He still thinks he's superior to Lazarus and that Lazarus ought to serve him and to be his messenger boy. And fourthly, this parable is probably a picture of the intermediate state. We gather from reading around the Bible that when we die, as we're Christian believers, we're securing God's presence, but we're awaiting the second coming of Jesus and the final resurrection and so on and the coming of heaven. I think that was the picture we were getting as we looked through the book of Revelation. So Lazarus, in this intermediate time of waiting, Lazarus is secure at God's table and the rich man is waiting in Hades for the final judgment day and is irreversibly on the way to hell. So in our notes, the rich man was in Hades, which means the place of the dead, waiting for his final sentencing by God. Now in last week's sermon, or maybe it was the week before, Revelation chapter 20, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave, it's the word Hades, death and Hades gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds, Revelation chapter 20. So the rich man is in Hades, he's waiting to be judged for his deeds, already in the agony of knowing his eternal fate. So let's just pause here for a few moments and answer the question, why did Lazarus go to heaven and not to hell? Was it because he was poor? So was it because that God saw that Lazarus had had a fairly rough trot down on earth and he was going to sort of make it up to him by giving him a nice time in heaven from then on, the best spot and so on? Was this why Lazarus got to heaven? No, that's not it. Because all the emphasis on the New Testament which is based on the Old Testament teaching of salvation by faith anyway, is that we need to actively follow Jesus if we wish to go to heaven. You don't get to heaven by being poor. There's no salvation by poverty in the Bible. It's only ever salvation by faith. But Lazarus is in fact being presented to us as a godly person. What backs this up? Well, Lazarus is the only character in any one of Jesus' parables, and I think there were probably more than 30 of them, who has a name given to them. Uh, Jesus talks this parable, a king, you know, built a palace, or a man went and he built a house, or he ploughed his fields, or something like that. Lazarus is the only person, the only character in this parable who gets a name. Bible names are usually taken to be a reflection of the sort of person you are. The most famous example is call him Jesus, which means God saves, because he's going to save his people from their sins, says the angel to Mary. You probably know that uh, verse. And the name Lazarus, which Jesus chose to give this man, it means God helps, 
which is a clue to us that he was trusting in God to help him. This is the reason I would think that he's the only character in all of Jesus' many parables to be given a name. He has a name, Lazarus, because Lazarus means God helps. So Lazarus is the man who believes in the God who helps. Note this point well, please. Not God helps those who help themselves, as some people quaintly but erroneously say, but Lazarus believed in the God who helps the helpless. This is the biblical truth. God helps the helpless, and Lazarus was helpless. Starving and ulcerated, he lay at the rich man's gate whilst the dogs licked his sores. And I wonder if you are helpless. Only when we come to see that we are helpless in the face of God's coming judgment that we can be in a position to start to accept God's help, which is God's salvation. So moving across, oh, I missed a bit for your notes there, I see there. That was about a page back, I don't even see it on mine. If you're taking notes, it means God helps, which is a clue, trusting in God to help him. Now I think I'm up to, st- up to date with my slides. When we were utterly, utterly helpless, it says in Romans chapter 5, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. So we've got to realise that we're helpless. We throw ourselves on Christ. We beg his mercy. He forgives us. He strengthens us. He lives in us through his spirit. He takes us on the pathway to heaven. So Lazarus then can be a picture of you. He believed that God helps, which is just about the same same as saying he believed that God saves. So we come to the second point this morning. How to avoid hell. Well, so far we've seen, surely we've seen this point. The rich man was defiant towards God, this is in your notes, and unrepentant of his sins. He was defiant towards God and unrepentant of his sins. The reason he couldn't care less about Lazarus while they're still both alive on earth was exactly that. That was his basic character, his basic outlook on life. It was his allegiance to himself. His life of self-indulgence and neglect of others was a powerful witness to his lack of repentance. So the rich man in Hades asked for some water and Abraham gave him the answer for eternity. He said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides... There's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. So after we die, we cannot change. The unrepentant men who couldn't care less about Lazarus, let alone care about God, he was in Hades. He was awaiting the time when Hades would give up its dead and he will appear before God's judgment and be sent away into hell, and he knew it. Because man, from Hebrews chapter 9, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Let's realise that, yes, we die, and yes, we will face God's judgment. If we're trusting in Jesus, he's already taken all the sting of death away. We're safe in that judgment. 
but we see the alternative case in the rich man who was not safe in that judgment. So on our notes, don't end up in hell. There's no way back from there. It's eternal punishment for sin. And Abraham in the story goes on to show the rich man just where his stupidity lay. Reading some of the Bible verses, and the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, having refused the, the drink request. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. And Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. There's enough in the Old Testament to get by. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So the rich man kept on asking and Abraham kept on turning him down. And it's true, I think, that no requests are ever granted in hell. The rich man, and his brothers by implication, of course, should have listened to Moses and the prophets. In the New Testament, they talk about Moses and the prophets. They're saying the Old Testament, which wasn't a common expression in those days. Moses and the prophets meant the Old Testament. should have read around their Bibles, which they had, and figured it out for themselves. Now, I could give a, a mass of Old Testament quotes here. Just one will suffice, taken from our Bible reading from Leviticus chapter 19. <laughs> where they were told in, in a sort of a farming community, when you harvest the crops of your land, don't, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Uh, do not pick up with the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Do not strip away every large, last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes uh, that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I'm the Lord your God. Maybe, maybe that rich man lived on a farm. Maybe he's in a sort of a town, city-like situation. But anyway, it's clear from reading these by you can make the transference yourself. If you're a rich man living in luxury, you've got to take care of the poor around you. And that should have been uh, clear to them. So although it's true that the men and women who lived in the days of the Old Testament were saved by faith... When the New Testament comes on top of the Old Testament, it becomes e even clearer. The Apostle Paul preaches the gospel. He specifically shows us that Old Testament Abraham was saved by faith when he believed in God's promises. So we should say that the way that the rich man ignored such an obvious case of human need right by him at his front gate, it clearly demonstrated the rich man was not interested in keeping God's laws as an expression of his faith and his lack of compassion spoke eloquently of the absence of faith. So basically, to go to hell, do nothing. This is what the rich man did. He did nothing, nothing at all. He just kept on living the way he was and he ended up in hell. To avoid hell, then, we must do something and that something is to repent and believe. That's how to avoid hell. To confess your sins to God, 
to make a clear-cut decision to give your allegiance to Jesus Christ who died for the forgiveness of our sins and rose to show that there is a clear pathway through to God. So now I want to ask you seriously, both here in the building and watching me on the wider screen, are you avoiding hell? How are you planning to avoid hell? When we die, we must face God. We must be safe and secure, having given our allegiance to Jesus and switched over to the new way of life in following Jesus. So in uh, 2, 2 Peter chapter 1, I would explain the gospel. In view of all this, this is, here's a picture of the Christian life. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. You can see where the rich man missed out all the way and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So starting with faith, that is faith in God which saves us, the Christian then proceeds to add to this faith the good deeds and the good character which prove that his faith is genuine in the first place. So true faith is busy. It goes to work every day. If you are a person of faith, then what Jesus said you have done, you've repented and believed in the gospel. But the rich man never got started with God. No faith, so naturally no good deeds in general, particularly in this parable, it was the sin of ignoring Lazarus. We should not ignore the plight of the poor. True faith in God and true gospel repentance will soften a person's heart for the poor and needy. So the rich man finally realised his blunder. He should not have ended up in hell. He should have acted while he was still alive on planet Earth. He naturally wanted to send back a warning to his brothers, as we saw. He was hoping that if Lazarus was sent back from the dead, then his brothers would repent and avoid hell. But you know what? Sending Lazarus back from the dead reminds me of something else in the Bible. The trouble with the request to send Lazarus back from the dead, to give everyone a warning, well, Jesus himself tried this. He stood by the grave one day of real Lazarus. I'm talking about a different Lazarus, not Lazarus and the rich man, the made-up parable. This is real historical Lazarus who lived and walked on God's earth. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, we read about the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out from the grave while people watched on astonished. And Lazarus did return from the dead. It was a clear warning to those people that Jesus was God's chosen king. But as Jesus himself said, even if someone from the dead were to go to them, they still won't repent. Because we note in John's Gospel, chapter 11, it was when Lazarus was brought back from Hades... That's when Jesus' enemies made a clear decision that they would have to destroy Jesus the way he was carrying on. 
Lazarus came back from the dead. Jesus himself came back from the dead. This should be good enough reason for you to avoid hell. And we will be rewarded with heaven if we stake our faith on the fact that God helps the helpless. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. For more information, head to jamborooanglican.com.